Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. Whew. Okay, so I uh, recorded for you guys last week, um, so I'm giving you guys more content. Um, I'm going to be back. I'm back on the grind. Um, the semester's ending is coming to a close for me, so the semester is you know, it's nearing its end. Um, but you know what that means? You know, we have baseball opening day coming up, uh, obviously NBA play in NBA playoffs talk. So we got a lot, we got a lot to get into. Obviously I want to talk about the Lakers. They are now eliminated from playoff contention. So I'm definitely gonna talk about the LeBron and the Lakers, uh, the, you know, where they go from now on. Um, there's also some free agency and draft stuff in terms of the NFL that we can get into as well. Um, but I just feel like NBA, it's got to be NBA, right? NBA. And first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. I hope you guys are doing fine. I'm doing well in myself. Let's get into it. I don't even want to waste a lot of time. Um, I hope you guys glad to hear my voice recording, uploading. I got the content for you guys. So, Lakers. Today... Let's just call it like it is. The Lakers are eliminated from playoff contention completely. Uh, They lost a critical game on Sunday to the Nuggets, and then they lost to the Phoenix Suns a couple days later. They are out of playoff contention. They won't even qualify for the play-in tournament. They won't even qualify. The Lakers won't qualify for the play-in tournament. And where do I start? Like, Frank Vogel, there's always got to be a fall guy. You know, there's always, there there always has to be a fall guy when stuff like, when, when there's so much expectations, so many expectations going into a season of surrounding a particular team, and the team just completely disappoints or falls short of that expectation. And for the Lakers' standards, they fell miserably short. So, in typical fashion, in usual fashion, there has to be a fall guy. And the fall guy, it's point look, it's looking like it's gonna be Frank Vogel. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. It's gonna be Frank Vogel. That's the that's the end. I don't even, I don't even necessarily think Frank Vogel is the problem, uh, per se. I don't think he is the reason why the Lakers. <laughs> right now are sitting at 31 and 48, 11th in the Western Conference. I don't think Frank Vogel and his coaching is the reason for that. Uh, I think it's more of a personnel issue. But you know what they say, right? The first step to solving a problem is recognizing that there is a problem. Or what is the problem? Like, that's the first step. The first step to solving a problem and solving an issue is recognizing, hey, there is a problem. There is an issue. Obviously, everybody and their grandmother can see that the Lakers have an issue. But then also, the next step, the following steps is, hey, where do we go from now? What's the next step? What's the next step? And... Or what was the cause of this problem, right? Right. That's 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 usually how it goes in terms of problem solving and trying to you know trying to take steps to solutions, right? That's usually how it goes. That's usually how it goes. Well, after the Nuggets lost on Sunday, Anthony Davis he was asked a question about this season's disappointment and so forth and he went into i don't have the sound bite but i'm sure you guys have probably heard the clipping the clips of it i'm sure it's out there i'm sure it's you guys have heard it and if i and i will try to find um i'm gonna have my i'm gonna have i'm gonna try to find the clip uh so you guys can hear it but essentially anthony davis alludes to injuries in health or lack thereof for the Lakers being something that somewhat held them back this year. That's essentially what he says. Anthony Davis says injuries and health held the Lakers back 
from being or reaching their full potential. That's what he said. And <laughs> Anthony Davis. <laughs> boy, oh boy. I know he's not mentioning health. And before I go into my whole spiel, I, as I promise, I have the clip for you guys right here. But here's Anthony Davis. As of sort of the, the nature of the big picture issues that you guys had to face. No, I think the biggest thing that I think about personally is what we could have been. You know, we stay healthy all year. What could we have been? Um, you know, of course, you want to, you got to figure out, you know, the kinks early on. But, you know, after it takes that 10, 12, 15, whatever amount of games to figure it out, you know, you get close to all-star after all-star and you're rolling you kind of feel like okay what what could have we have been if i was healthy all year brian was healthy you know um k9 is healthy like you think about those things you know we put this team together um look really good on paper but we haven't had a chance to reach that potential with god then you know in and out of the lineup so um so the most frustrating part about you know this season just not not being sure what we could have been as a Okay, so <laughs> you heard that, right? That <laughs> it was pretty funny. He talked about – obviously, he alluded to himself. <laughs> he's only played 40-something 40, 40 games. Anthony Davis, he's missed half of the season. And then LeBron, of course, he's had his uh, fair, share, fair share of injuries as well. And then he also – he took time to mention Kendrick Nunn. No disrespect to Kendrick Nunn. No disrespect at all. <laughs> but if we are going to pretend – that the presence of or lack thereof of Kendrick Nunn was going to be the determining factor whether or not the Lakers were going to be, I don't know, above 500 or in play-in contention or in playoff contention, then we got a lot of issues here. <laughs> we got a lot of issues here. And, and like I said, that's no disrespect to, towards Kendrick Nunn, but I'm just keeping it. I'm Like, like today, I just got to keep it real. If we're if we are going to sit up here and act like the health of Kendrick Nunn, and I hope he does get healthy, and I think Kendrick Nunn can be a productive player, um, in the right, in the right environment. But if we're gonna sit up here and say the Lakers, the Lakers season was dependent, uh, was a determining factor, Kendrick Nunn and him playing in his presence, like, please, can we stop with that? Anthony Davis, we don't need to see more of this. And and he, and he alludes to him and LeBron playing more, and Westbrook. And for you guys, for you, for my listeners, Westbrook, LeBron, and AD, those three, they played twenty one games together. They were eleven and ten in those games. They were not good. They were an average team when all three of those guys were on the floor. And then I have people alluding to Wesley Westbrook playing really well when LeBron is off the floor. And when you look at it, when LeBron that when LeBron doesn't play or when LeBron is off the floor, Westbrook, he plays, he he's pretty decent. He looks better than what he has. But this Lakers season, I I think Anthony Davis, it's you know. Of course, he would say something like that, but it just we don't need to see more of this. That's my point. Like, we don't need to see more of the Lakers as constructive right now. Like, it's a poorly constructed team. And from top to bottom, I don't know who we don't know who like the agents don't know who what the problem is. The the star, excuse me, the stars don't know what the problem is. The front office. You know, they're pointing the fingers at the star and the agents and pointing the fingers at the front office. And it's just like the stars aren't really being accountable. So, like, there's no accountability on either, like, on either end of the of the spectrum with this Laker franchise and organization. <laughs> like, like I said, we got the front office, you know, Magic, he was on ESPN earlier this week and he talked about, he talked about the Lakers and, you know, and, and the, and potentially or how they missed out on DeMar DeRozan because they wanted Russell Westbrook, then the stars, then the agents point fingers at the. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. And we're talking about Anthony Davis, 
who can't stay healthy, cannot stay healthy to save his life. I think he's played he's played 70 plus games twice in the last eight years. Last eight years, he's played 70 games twice. Twice. Westbrook still is a guy who struggles to shoot the basketball. Either, even after a decade plus in this league, he still struggles to shoot the basketball. And then LeBron, he's he's going into his 20th year. <laughs> that is not a recipe for success. All three are expensive. All three are expensive. And the thing about the the difference between the NFL and the NBA, you know, the NBA, the NBA, if you have a couple, if you have a if you have a bad contract or two, like you're 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 essentially stuck with those contracts. Cuz like it's going to be very difficult. You got to first the Lakers they may have to blow this bad boy up. They may have to blow this puppy up. They may got they maybe have they may have to blow this puppy up because they have they in in they have contract after contract after contract that's that just that just hasn't aged properly. Um and the Westbrook deal is amongst that is is amongst the top of that list where like his contract is immense and it's very expensive. It comes with a hefty price tag, but West Westbrook for a greater portion of the season was awful. <laughs> like, let's just call it like it is. And I and you guys know I, I haven't even been talking about Russell Westbrook. I haven't even been critical of Russell Westbrook as much as I as much as I can be or as much as I should be because at this point it's a repetitive it's a it's just a repetitive take that I have it just becomes repetitive so I don't even bring it up anymore Westbrook but Anthony Davis even for his standards he struggled to get in shape he was struggling to be to to, to get healthy hasn't really played up to his potential and then LeBron himself individually has had a great season, but I don't think his impact, I don't think his impact carries the same weight as it once did a few years back. So you have all of those three components, and they're all three come with hefty, expensive price tags. And with the NBA, and as, as I was alluding to, as I was saying, the NBA comes with if you if you have a bad contract or two, it's gonna be hard to move off that puppy. It's gonna be hard to move off that contract because that's just how the NBA is structured, and you're stuck with it, and you're gonna be in rebuild mode for a couple years, for for, for years. How about not even a couple years? For years, you're gonna be in real rebuild mode. In NFL, you can sign a bad contract one off season if you realize and you recognize that it's a, it's a bad contract. Then like okay you'll be you have some wiggle room to like cut you know trade a guy or just buy out a guy and you you move on and you you, you say you it is what it is with that bad contract that's just what it is we've seen it you guys have heard me break it down on numerous of occasions where NFL teams have signed players to bad contracts they end up trading them or just cutting them and they start off fresh in the NFL I'm gonna make this argument in the NFL it is easier. The path to rebuilding your team is is a little bit easier and a, and 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 less stressful than it is in the NBA. And I feel like the NBA have this their competitive balance scale isn't it's not right. The competitive balance is flawed in the NBA. I would say it's flawed and. The GMs and the front office personnel in the NBA, if they make a bad move or they sign a bad contract, depending on how expensive it is, it can be very tolling and detrimental to their team. And it, it, and like I said, it will take years to rebuild. In the NFL, you can sign a bad contract or two, 
dump those contracts, cut those contracts, release those contracts, and about two, maybe two drafts, two free agencies later, you can be irrelevant and be really good. You can go from irrelevant and laughing stock of the league and be really good two drafts, two off seasons, two free agencies later. It typically doesn't work like that in the NBA. <laughs> like it, it typically doesn't work like that. So that is a competitive balance issue within the NBA. But back to the Lakers, you have to blow this thing up. And the worst thing about this whole Lakers situation is the mere fact that for about a good month and a half or maybe even two months, it looked like the Lakers didn't even care. Like, that's the worst part. Like, that's the worst part. I think I think the mere fact that Anthony Davis is mentioning injuries as an excuse, because it simply is an excuse, because all throughout the league, there has been teams that have dealt with injuries. There has been teams that have dealt with injuries all throughout the league. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies, they've they have missed their best player for 22 games. They're 20 and 2 without John Morant. The Celtics early on dealt with COVID and the injury bug. The Celtics, it looked like the first couple, the first month and a half, the Celtics looked dead in the water. Now, injuries? The Celtics, they look like one of the better teams in the league. Since January, they've been probably, like, if you look at their record-wise, like, between the Celtics and Phoenix, they have dealt with injuries. The Celtics and, and, and Phoenix, they've dealt with injuries. They've been consistent. And they look like one. They look like two of the top teams in basketball, especially Phoenix. And then the Celtics—they have emerged as a, a as a legit contender and threat in the Eastern Conference. The Bulls have dealt with injuries. They're still in the playoff race. Like a lot of teams have dealt with injuries this year, and it, it's they they're still finding a way to win games. They're still finding a way to stay stay afloat. So the ex- so the excuse or the reasoning, per se, that Anthony Davis comes up with in terms of injuries and the Lakers not being able to reach their full potential, okay, that can be said for a lot of teams. Look at the Clippers. The Clippers haven't had Kawhi Leonard. Paul George just came back. He j- Paul George just came back an hour and a half ago. <laughs> and the Clippers are in the play-in. They're in the play-in. They're in the eighth seed. They sit at the AC in the playoffs. They've dealt with injuries. So when we so when I hear the excuse of or the reasoning, whatever you want to call it, I, I deem it as an excuse because there's been other teams that have dealt with injuries and they're in firm, they're in fine position. The Nuggets, they're missing Jamal Murray. They're missing, they're they're missing Michael Porter Jr. They're missing two all-star caliber players. They are still in the playoffs. They're still in the playoffs. <laughs> so when I so when I hear the excuse of uh, where Anthony Davis says, "Hey, we couldn't reach our full potential due to injuries," it's like, uh, okay. So has so has the rest of the league per se, <laughs> essentially. Uh, uh, the rest of the league has dealt with injuries. So this Laker, this this whole Laker thing, I think my two my my biggest takeaways is this. You got to blow this bad boy up. You may have, like, you may, it, it may not sound right. It may sound a bit too fast and a bit too, like, you know, extreme and radical, but you may have to blow this bad boy up because you got a couple, you got some contracts. I'm not going to say a couple contracts, but you definitely have a contract that's going to be very hard to move, which is Russell Westbrook. You got, like, it literally, you're literally, you're like, this is how bad the contract is with Russell Westbrook. The Lakers couldn't even move; they couldn't even pair their first round pick with Russell Westbrook's contract and take on a like. You guys remember the John Wall deal, the Rockets deal. The Lakers tried to put their first rounder in Russell Westbrook 
as a package together. And the Rockets wouldn't even take that. And John Wall has played 40 games in the last three years. <laughs> and the Rockets wouldn't even take that. I think the Lakers, so that's that's one of that's one of the big issues. They got contracts, especially one con they have at least one contract that's gonna be very difficult to move. Then I think in terms of their 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 personnel, this team was poorly constructed. And you gotta look at the front office. And hey, I gotta call it like it is. You gotta look. You gotta look at LeBron James. You gotta look. You gotta look at LeBron James in terms of him want, wanting what he gets, putting this team together, or wanting wanting what he wants, and then getting it, and then putting this team together. Um, you got like a, LeBron has to take accountability for it. LeBron has to take accountability for this. Um. I just think that there's just so, so many glaring issues and holes that it's not really hard to see. This doesn't take, and I want you guys to know this, this doesn't take a lot of thought behind the Lakers' issues. It's just bad, and they're glaring issues. They're glaring, glaring issues. Um, Anthony Davis, got to stay healthy. But how many times are we going to say that? You know, how, how many times are we going to say that? And then also, like I said, I think in the NBA, the NFL, there is somewhat of a balance, a competitive balance issue in terms of re, the rebuilding process. Because the rebuilding process in the NFL, you would think with the NFL having a more strict salary cap, um, it would be more difficult uh, to rebuild or get rid of bad contracts because the NFL is a hard cap league. Well, it's just not like that. The NFL, it, it, at least you have the option of either trading and cutting a bad contract away, even if you have to take on somebody else's salary. You can do that. The NBA, it's it, the, the salary cap has so many loopholes, but when 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 GMs run into bad contracts, it's so hard to move off of, and the rebuilding process takes longer per se. I would I would say it takes longer, it takes longer in in, in the NBA, and you would think with the with the salary cap, with it being so loose and so player quote unquote player friendly, um, and so many loopholes around certain restrictions, you would think that it would be easier but it's not um so i'm gonna I'm take a quick break i'm gonna i want to get to lebron more so um on this next segment after this quick break all right so i want to talk about lebron in terms of this whole laker debacle um and them missing the playoffs <clears throat> and as i as i stated in the earlier segments uh where i talked about the lakers individually lebron has had a great season Still putting up really great numbers, uh, averaging 30 points per game. I think he's only done that. This is, this is probably the second time he's done that in his career, um, where he where he's averaged 30 uh, points per game. Um, I can double check that to make sure if I'm, you know, I'm correct. Uh, but yeah, this is yeah, this is the second time where he's averaged 30 points per game uh, in his career. The, the first time he did it, he won a scoring title. Uh, so, but regardless, <clears throat> I think there is this cycle with LeBron that I'm sure a lot of people have caught on to, and I've been I've been talking about it, and I've I've occasionally po- pointed it out and brought up and brought it up, um, and I've often uh, I've alluded to it being like um, somewhat of the sin or the downside of having LeBron James on your roster uh, when you're when you have LeBron. Obviously, his main intention and goal is to win. Now, I think it's a bit different now, now that he's a bit older, now that he's going into his 20th season, now he's approaching, you know, all-time records such as uh, Kareem's scoring record. Uh, And it's not to say that LeBron doesn't necessarily care about winning. He cares about winning. But I think there's other stuff that uh, that he pays attention to as well. 
Uh, like I said, records, but it, it, it's, it could be stuff on the court as well, but also very well off the court. Um, him going to Los Angeles wasn't by accident. Him want, him wanting to go to L.A. wasn't – it just wasn't because, oh, he wants to play for the Purple and Gold and rep the Lakers. No, 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 no. He went there because, yeah, he, he – you know, that's cool to play for the Lakers and so forth and, and to wear those colors. But also – He's looking at other options off in terms of off the court, like so many business opportunities and so forth. And he he's he's flourished and he's relished, you know, his stay um, and him being in L.A. He's definitely relished that opportunity. But there's this cycle where LeBron, he gets his guys in-house uh, clutch sports. Very, they move very influential in terms of they're very influential in the personnel decisions and moves that's made um, on whatever team LeBron is on. You saw this in Miami, um, you saw this in Cleveland, and now you're seeing you're you're definitely seeing it in L- in LA, where LeBron in 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 in, in aspects in some aspect he kind of takes over the franchise essentially. And Pat Riley in Miami did it for four years. Pat Riley wasn't feeling it. Pat Riley was not doing it. Pat Riley was not having it. LeBron left, went to Cleveland, tried, he did the same thing, used the same tactics and same schemes in terms of integrating his guys, integrating clutch sports within the front office, being very influential in whatever moves that were made personnel-wise. Four years, it ran its courts, LeBron left. Now we're in year four with the Lakers where LeBron, this is usually how it goes. First couple years, turns out to be really good. LeBron either wins a championship um, or he falls short of it. But then, like, usually, always, that second year, he wins a championship. He did it in Miami. Second year in Miami, he won a championship. Second year in Cleveland, the second time around, he won a championship. And then the second year in L.A., regardless, bubble, championship, you can call it whatever, he won a championship. Second year. So that's typically how the cycle goes. Give him a year or two. Give him a year to figure it out, to construct and balance out the roster the way he wants it. Second year, he typically comes through and win a championship. The third year, uh, that's where things start to get a bit shaky and go away. And then the fourth year, that's where you start to see the crumbling and the collapse of what's happening. And that's what that's that's the trend. That's the trend. As you guys know, I'm really good, and I try my best to point out trends. And that is the trend, that is the cycle that LeBron has has carried um, throughout his throughout his years since entering into free agency, since Miami, since going to Miami. LeBron has this four year trend and four year cycle that he that he continues. That he has. Now, it'd be very interesting. As I talked about, Magic Johnson went on ESPN early this week. He basically outed and blasted the Lake and put the Lakers on blast in terms of their their roster construction and how this season went. Um, so I do, I, I, and a part of me. All right, so I want to talk about LeBron in terms of this whole Laker debacle. Um, and them missing the playoffs. <clears throat> and as I, as I stated in the earlier segments uh, where I talked about the Lakers, individually, LeBron has had a great season. Still putting up really great numbers, uh, averaging 30 points per game. I think he's only done that. This is, this is probably the second time he's done that in his career, um, where, he, where he's averaged 30 uh, points per game. Um, I can double check that to make sure if I'm, you know, I'm correct. Uh, but yeah, this is yeah, this is the second time where he's averaged 30 points per game uh, in his career. The, the first time he did it, he won a scoring title. Uh, so, but regardless, <clears throat> I think there is this cycle with LeBron 
that I'm sure a lot of people have caught on to, and I've been I've been talking about it, and I've I've occasionally po- pointed it out and brought up and brought it up, um, and I've often uh, I've alluded to it being like um, somewhat of the sin or the downside of having LeBron James on your roster. Uh, when you're when you have LeBron, obviously his main intention and goal is to win. Now I think it's a bit different now. Now that he's a bit older, now that he's going into his 20th season, now he's approaching, you know, all-time records such as uh, Kareem's scoring record. Uh, And it's not to say that LeBron doesn't necessarily care about winning. He cares about winning. But I think there's other stuff that he he pays attention to as well. Uh, Like I said, records. But it, 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 it could be stuff on the court as well, but also very well off the court. Um, him going to Los Angeles wasn't by accident. Him want, him wanting to go to L.A. wasn't – it just wasn't because, oh, he wants to play for the Purple and Gold and rep the Lakers. No, 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 no. He went there because, yeah, he, he – you know, that's cool to play for the Lakers and so forth and, and to wear those colors. But also – He's looking at other options off in terms of off the court, like so many business opportunities and so forth. And he he's he's flourished and he's relished, you know, his stay um, and him being in L.A. He's definitely relished that opportunity. But there's this cycle where LeBron, he gets his guys in-house, uh, clutch sports. Very, they move very influential in terms of they're very influential in the personnel decisions and moves that's made um, on whatever team LeBron is on. You saw this in Miami, um, you saw this in Cleveland, and now you're seeing you're you're definitely seeing it in L- in LA, where LeBron, in 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 in, in aspects, in some aspect, he kind of takes over the franchise essentially. And Pat Riley in Miami did for four years. Pat Riley wasn't feeling it. Pat Riley was not doing it. Pat Riley was not having it. LeBron left, went to Cleveland, tried. He did the same thing, used the same tactics and same schemes in terms of integrating his guys, integrating clutch sports within the front office, being very influential and in whatever moves that were made personnel-wise. Four years, it ran its courts, LeBron left. Now we're in year four with the Lakers where LeBron, this is usually how it goes. First couple years, turns out to be really good. LeBron either wins a championship um, or he falls short of it. But then, like, usually, always, that second year, he wins a championship. He did it in Miami. Second year in Miami, he won a championship. Second year in Cleveland, the second time around, he won a championship. And then the second year in L.A., regardless, bubble, championship, you can call it whatever, he won a championship. Second year. So that's typically how the cycle goes. Give him a year or two. Give him a year to figure it out, to construct and balance out the roster the way he wants it. Second year, he typically comes through and win a championship. The third year, uh, that's where things start to get a bit shaky and go away. And then the fourth year, that's where you start to see the crumbling and the collapse of what's happening. And that's what that's that's the trend. That's the trend. As you guys know, I'm really good, and I try my best to point out trends. And that is the trend, that is the cycle that LeBron has has carried um, throughout his throughout his years since entering into free agency, since Miami, since going to Miami. LeBron has this four year trend and four year cycle that he that he continues. That he has. Now, it'd be very interesting. As I talked about, Magic Johnson went on ESPN early this week. He basically outed and blasted the Lake and put the Lakers on blast in terms of their their roster construction and how this season went. So I do think there is like a part of me where it's like this is an attempt for Genie to 
regain uh like control of her franchise of this team um because i don't think i think they've realized that they don't want lebron like lebron may have uh you know may have aspirations of owning a team but i don't think genie wants him to own this laker team i don't think i don't think so uh i, I think she's gonna i think this i think that was an a that was an attempt to get back the team get get back control um <clears throat> obviously what Magic talked about, I'm sure you guys have heard where he talked about basically the DeMar DeRozan deal was done. DeMar DeRozan, uh, who's had a really good year in Chicago, um, in Chicago, they they you know they they looking like they're gonna be a playoff team, uh, definitely. But you look at Chicago, DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan was he was bound to be a Laker and he was gonna even take a pay cut. A lot of people thought Chicago paying him $26 million was a bit, you know, a bit a bit steep. But DeMar DeRozan, I mean, he's he's definitely, you know, proven that he's worth that um and probably a little bit more. Um but he was willing to take a pay cut to come back home to Los Angeles um along with the Lakers trying to get Buddy Heel. Um so the personnel issues in terms of LeBron and what this clash in the front office where I think last year you look at a guy like uh, THT that I think was a bit overvalued. I think I think THT's uh, value was a bit overplayed and over and um oversuited. Uh, I must say because you know you didn't you wouldn't run you wouldn't have ran into this problem if they would have did the Kyle Lowry deal. If the Kyle Lowry deal was if that was put into play this whole Russell Westbrook thing wouldn't be an issue. Um, but I think you look at the pieces that was moved in order to get Russell Westbrook um, played a significant role in the Lakers' demise this year in terms of their roster construction. And I think LeBron, there. here's, I'm, I must say, the accountability word, uh, the word accountability must be put on him a little uh, uh, some of it some he has to take some accountability for this not saying all of it but he has to take a a good portion of some of this accountability for the construction and the demise of the lakers and the disappointing season that they have had this year it's been bad and i think lebron in terms like i said individually as a player he's been great but in terms of his outside pool and reach and his take on players and personnel hasn't really panned out. And as I pointed to you guys, there is a cycle. He has a cycle of this type of stuff, of this type of behavior in the front office. There's a cycle. So, um... That's that. I'm gonna wrap it up with LeBron and Lakers. I talked a lot of LeBron and Lakers today. Uh almost that what 30 minutes worth of LeBron and Laker uh takes NBA. Um, I know we're getting close and close to the play-in and the NBA playoffs. The NBA season is winding down this week. Um, so I can't wait to see how this trans uh, transpires. Also, March Madness, shout out to Kansas. Kansas men's basketball team. Obviously, Kansas came away with the victory versus North Carolina. And shouts out to girl to um to the girls to the women's South Carolina's uh, basketball team as well. They won the NCAA championship for women's basketball. Shouts out to South Carolina and Kansas for doing that. Um, you want to know something weird and strange? South Carolina and Kansas they both beat Miami, Creighton, and North Carolina in route to uh winning the national title both of them they both ran into creighton north carolina and what was the other time i just named miami they all all, no both teams beat all three of those teams in route to their national title win uh so i found that that was a pretty interesting stat i do want to talk about college basketball though um I do. I want to. I want to spend a little short time on college basketball. So, in terms of Kansas and North Carolina, that game was really good. It was a great game. Uh, Kansas overcame uh, the largest halftime deficit of any title winner. 
Um, so if anybody, <laughs> I should say, uh, nobody has ever done that in terms of the deficit that they face at halftime. Um, both teams are really good. And I have come, I, I've just come to a point in college basketball where I think there's a bunch of really, really good teams. Just like any given year, typically, I think there are a bunch of really good teams. This year, I thought there were I thought there were numerous really good teams. I thought North Carolina was really good. I thought Kansas was really good. You know, the Blue Bloods, Duke, Kentucky, like the Blue Bloods, pretty good teams, really good teams. I thought Auburn was really good. Um, obviously, Gonzaga, they usually they're usually you know usually really good. Villanova, really good. I thought there were really good basketball teams in the tournament this year in college basketball. I don't necessarily think there's a great team. I didn't think there was a great team in college basketball this year. Um, and maybe and, and I think some of it speaks to what college basketball has become. Because I have a lot of people and uh, a lot of people, a lot of, I'm trying to figure out a way to put this, but a lot of my older listeners uh, and a lot of people that give me some insight on sports, they often talk about college basketball and what it was in the 80s and 90s. Because essentially, that was the peak of college basketball in the 80s and in the 90s. Uh, the Big East was great. ACC, you had so many really good teams in the 80s and 90s. Great teams. Great teams, I must say. And some of those great teams didn't even win national championships. Some there were some really good St. John teams. Uh there were, you know, Houston team, obviously, five Sam Jamma, with uh led by Olajuwon and 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 uh and Clyde Drexler. There was some there's so many good teams. Kansas, Georgetown, so many all-time great teams um that they didn't even win national championships. Fat five in Michigan. Uh, UNLV, I, I mean, so many good teams, right? Right. So, college basketball now is so is somewhat transactional, and the best players necessarily don't even stay two, three, four years like they used to. And I think that's the demise of great teams in college basketball. I don't think there's a lot like on a year to year basis. I don't think there's a lot of or even one great team in college basketball because it's so forward moving with the great players. The great players often leave really early. So there's not enough space and time for great teams to really be built and developed. But that's what college basketball has come down to. And I watched the Kansas and North Carolina game. Like I said, it was a really good game. And obviously it came down to the final seconds and moments of the game. But ultimately was Kansas I, 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 and this is not me poo-pooing Kansas championship but like was Kansas the best team in the country I don't know I I, I I'm not sure I think they were I, Bill Self is a great coach Hall of Fame coach um Kansas is three is three of or four of the biggest and top programs in college basketball and brands in college basketball um and in in depth wise, I think they have more depth than North Carolina, but I'm not sure if like from from head to toe if they were better in terms of player and personnel if they were better than North Carolina. I'm not sure, um, but that's just what I think. That's just a little bit of me accepting what college basketball is and what it ain't. Um, I know a lot of people that remember and reminisce and talk about uh, the you know college basketball in the 80s and 90s. Maybe it's a bit difficult for them to wrap their arms around it, but I kind of see it for what it is and what it ain't. And for what it is, college basketball in most years don't really have a great team. There's usually a bunch of really good teams. There's really there's usually typically about maybe maybe six to eight really good teams in college basketball. But then there 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 typically isn't a great team in college basketball. And like I said, I think some of that has to do with a lot of it has to do with the great the best players in college are no longer staying three, four years like they were back 20, 25, 30 years ago. Simple as that. 
Um, I think college basketball, like um, I think the state of college basketball, it has turned into a sport that I think a lot of us still really, really enjoy. But I think with so much skill at the NBA level and just so much pure talent at the NBA level, I don't think we go to college basketball on any given Saturday and be like, whoa, this is a great day. Like, we tune in. We really, a, a majority of the country tune in to college basketball and college hoops one time of the year, and that's March. And that's okay. But it you just got to see it for what, it's, for what it is and what it's not. And with college basketball, I think that's what it is. And a lot of it has to do with its players, the best players per se, um, the, the the highly talented and the highly skilled guys aren't staying. They're not staying three, four years. And college basketball, college sports, collegiate sports in general, is it's 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 a lot of it's obviously you need the players to play and you need great players for the product. But a lot of it really goes down to the coaches being the faces of these programs. When you think of Duke for the last 35, 40 years, you think of Coach K. When you think of Kentucky, you think of John Calipari. When you think of Kansas, you think of Bill Self. When you think of uh, Villanova, you think of Jay Wright. When you think of Syracuse, like you just think of these major notable coaches um, and that's what really, that's what really, that's what college basketball and college sports embodies, even in college football. When you think about certain programs, you think about certain coaches. I don't even got to go through it, but you know, like Alabama, you think of Saban, you think of notable coaches and essentially the coaches are the face of the brand and the program. That's what it comes down to. So with college, with college basketball, um, I think it's it, it brings it brings a great sensational month of content. Um, but in terms of watching college basketball, and you gotta be like a real sports junkie or just a real big lover of college basketball. But most people, most people that did a bracket probably didn't watch, <laughs> probably didn't watch a lot of college basketball this year. They probably skipped out. They probably skipped out and they tuned in in March, just like a lot, just like a, just like a lot of other people. That's what the sport has become, and I see it for what it is and what it's not. Um, so that's that. Um, I wanna, I, I wanna talk about the playoffs. Uh, I promise a couple people, not necessarily promise, but these people are always on my mind, and and you know, I always keep them on my agenda. So I, I am, I promise you guys, I'm going to bring a guest on, I'm going to bring a couple guests on to talk about the NBA playoffs with you guys. Um, and it's not just myself just ranting and rumbling um, just constantly. But uh, the Eastern Conference, I can't, I've never been, you know, I've never been so excited for the Eastern Conference landscape in terms of the playoffs. Like usually there's a matchup or two that I want to see. But, like, from the first round all the way to the conference finals, I'm really, really excited to see what the Eastern Conference has, you know, has to offer us. Not to say that the Western Conference isn't going to be good. I think both conferences, in terms of the plo- the postseason and playoffs, things will be really interesting to watch. But I just think of the Eastern Conference, it's deeper. It's honestly deeper this year. Uh, I think the Western Conference, they're more top-heavy. I think they're I think their top-end teams, their high-end teams, are probably better. Phoenix is probably better than a lot of than uh, than a couple of teams that's sitting high up um, in the Eastern Conference. Like I think Phoenix, they obviously they broke a franchise record for wins, but I think Phoenix is better than Miami, and Miami is the one seed in, in the Eastern Conference. But I'm not. But and Miami's the one seed, but I don't even think Miami's the best team in the Eastern Conference. I think the two best teams, and I'm gonna give it to you guys like this. Um, obviously, I'm gonna have my playoff predictions as the seeding gets closer and as the play-in uh, concludes. But I have it like this: the two best teams out east that I have right now, that I see right now, that I've been watching and following, it's the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. I think those are the two best teams out east. And it seems as if if the seeding stays as it is right now where Milwaukee is the two and Boston is the three, those two teams could possibly um, and and most likely meet up in the second round. 
but to just my personal preference and opinion, just watching the last um since January um up until now, I feel like the Celtics have been the hottest, if not one, probably one of definitely one of the hottest teams in basketball, if not the hottest team in basketball, and. You look at what they can do defensively. It's really, really impressive. And I thought, I really feel like this team has come a long way because back when the season first started, the first month, month and a half, it was looking really down. It was looking really sketchy for the Celtics. I, you know, I heard a lot of people, I heard a lot of chatter, you know, can Tatum and Brown play together? You know, it was a lot of that chatter going on early on for the Celtics. But then Emma, I got to give a lot of props to Emma Udoka. I think he's definitely, he should be definitely the leading uh, candidate for coach of the year um, for what he's done with that Celtics roster. Um, and he's brought back that defensive identity that led to them going to the conference finals um, and having those deep playoff runs, you're seeing reminiscences of that, uh, of that, of those type of, of that identity that they once had. Um, I think the emergence of Rob Williams being a really good rim protector and being just this agile, versatile defender, he's really their secret weapon. It's not obviously we know we know what we're getting with Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum this year. Just based off of this year, Jason Tatum has been a top 10 player in basketball, um, and he's been an all-NBA caliber guy, first-team all-NBA caliber guy, just by my opinion. Um, we know we, we, like, we know what we're getting from Jason Tatum. We know what we're getting from Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart, he's a constant. He's going to give you effort minutes, great defense. He's, he's, he can occasionally shoot a three, and his playmaking has improved. And then Al Horford, really skilled big man. But then with Robert Williams, I feel like Robert Williams is that secret weapon where he is so versatile defensively, you can switch literally practically anything with him. If it's a guard, he can take him on. If it's a forward or a big, he can take him on. And he's an undersized center. He stands about 6'9", 6'10". He's an undersized center, but he bring, his athleticism, he brings so much just spark and energy to the Celtics, especially defensively. Defensively, he's a good, he's a good, he's a really good uh catch and lob guy. He can you know he can he can finish and so forth. But a lot of his stuff is just intangibles and athleticism. And that's what he brings defensively. Now Milwaukee, Milwaukee's defending champions. I think Giannis, you know, he may I think Giannis has had another MVP caliber season. He probably won't win MVP this year. But Giannis, I, I'm not mad if somebody says, hey, Giannis the best player in basketball. I'm not mad at that because at times he looks like it. He looks so dominant. He looks so damn dominant. So by my estimate, I think those are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, Boston and Milwaukee. Now, like I said, I think those two teams, it looks as if those two teams are going to match up in the second round with each other. Um, that would have been a great conference finals, but they're going to match up in the second round with each other. So I'm really curious and interested to see how the rest of this translate. I think a dark horse is obviously the Brooklyn Nets. You cannot sleep on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I, I, they're going to be really dangerous as well. Now we still got to figure out what seeding they're going to get. Is it going to be the seventh seed or the eighth seed? Um, but Brooklyn, I think is very dangerous, but just by my estimate, the two best teams, Celtics, Bucks. Now that's not that's not. I'm not saying Philadelphia can't have a deep playoff run and and win the Eastern Conference. I think Philadelphia they have the talent to do so. But I I have you guys know I have a lot of questions about Philadelphia in terms of the elements of their team. Um, I feel like their bench they lost some bench depth with the Ben Simmons trade. Uh, I think the loss of Seth Curry was was big. Uh, you added James Harden, but historically he's not a great postseason performer. Uh, Joel Embiid, he's going to be Joel Embiid, but what else? I think you know we're looking at we, we we could potentially have a Philadelphia and Toronto first round matchup. That could be a very very tough matchup for Philadelphia and a scary one. I think that's a that that has the potential to be a really um a really deep and long series for Philadelphia uh, if they play Toronto. 
Uh, I think Chicago is more so the better matchup for Philadelphia. But we'll see. And, and also Doc Rivers. I don't trust Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, he's a he's a coach where he's won a championship, but that's a long time ago, and that's where years remove away from that. And all we have on Doc Rivers over the last since that championship, since that championship win, all we have on Doc Rivers as a coach in the postseason is him blowing leads. Whether it's 3-1, 2-0, he does nothing but blow leads and underachieve with really, really talented teams. So I have I have my questions about Philadelphia, but I just want to give you guys a brief update on how I feel about the conferences, each conference. Um, I think obviously out West, like I said, out West, it's more so top-heavy. It's not as deep or um, as stacked as these in the conference. Now, I, like I said, I mentioned Boston-Milwaukee, but I think Miami, I think Miami, they're good enough to make a deep playoff run. I don't think they will, but they're good enough. Philadelphia, they're good enough. Um, Chicago, I don't think they're going to make a deep playoff run necessarily, but they had a really good season. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Brooklyn. Um, and then I look out west. It's, it's, it's top-heavy. It's Phoenix. I know Memphis is the two-seed. We'll see what they do um, in terms of the two-seed and, and their matchup. I think their matchup is also really key. Um, because if Memphis have to match up with the Clippers, potentially, that could be really scary with a healthy Paul George and that Clippers roster and depth um, versus Memphis. That could be really interesting. Uh, but then, obviously, like, we got Phoenix, right? Uh, then Golden State, you know, they're going to get Steph Curry back. And then I like, as a dark horse, I like Dallas. I think Dallas, Dallas is very boom or bust. Dallas is very boom or bust. That's why I consider them a dark horse and not a serious contender because they're very boom or bust. Uh, Luka, <clears throat> on any given night, can look like the best player in basketball. Simple as that. Any given night, he can look like the best player in basketball. But then it's the role guys of Dallas where it's it's questionable. I've been to two Mavericks games this year. And... It basically, the two games that I went to basically explained and exemplify what I'm talking about. I went to the game, I went to the Mavericks game when they played the Celtics at the TD Garden. Um, it was a great game. Luca and the supporting, Luca played pretty well, pretty decent. He had a, he had a, uh, he had a so-so first half. He had a stronger second half and the, and the supporting cast played better in the second half and they were able to squeak out of Boston with, uh, a, I think, a three-point victory. So, and they look really good. So it's games like that where Dallas, they look like a team that could win a round or two rounds in the play, in the playoffs. But then a week and a half ago, I went to the Wizards game. I went to the Mavericks versus Wizards game, and the Mavericks got completely stomped by 30. And a lot and, and a big reason, a big reason to that, or a big reason because of that, was the role players just didn't show up. Luca had 36, but the role players didn't show up. So I for me, Dallas is very boom or bust. And the games that I have went to and the games that I have watched of Dallas, they exemplify what I'm talking about. That same game, that same that same road stretch, they lost to the Wizards by 30. <laughs> but then a couple days later, they go up to Milwaukee and beat Milwaukee, and they look like like, like Dallas looked really legit versus Milwaukee. So it's very they're a very they're a very confusing team. Um, they're very and I'm and I always said they're very dependent on Luca, and Luca is great, and he's good enough to win you around. But as the as the playoffs get, get deeper and you play better teams and the defenses get better and the coaches get smarter, they're going to find a way to neutralize, not necessarily shut down or stop Luka, but they're going to find a way to neutralize and get the ball out of Luka's hand um, and force someone else make, to make plays. I like Jalen Brunson. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. But I, I'm just not so certain and sold on the fact where they can come up as second options in a legitimate playoff series. Um, so that's just a little quick brief uh, breakdown um, that I wanted to give you guys. You know, it's just NBA content, NBA content now. 
Uh, obviously, I give you some, I give you guys some draft stuff. Also, I'm a, I'm gonna release a clip. Not not I'm not a part of this episode, but it's gonna be from other platforms because I you know recently lately I've been going on different platforms and other people's podcasts and you know giving some thoughts on certain topics. So I will just in case you guys haven't heard that haven't heard those um haven't had the chance to hear those uh you know my breakdowns and my thoughts and opinions about those certain topics i will be sure to release them under my podcast as like a sub episode for you guys not a not a real episode not my episode but a sub episode just with with more content from other platforms and other places where i may be speaking at because as you I, that's also another thing like you guys, <clears throat> it is not it is not hard to find content. Of it's not hard to find my content. You know, uh, I not only do I have my own podcast, but I'm I, I'm I'm very open, and a lot of people I appreciate it, and a lot of people have um, opened the door for me to come on their podcast, and I do when I have time. I do so just in case you don't go and listen to theirs. I will get the I will get my takes and my opinions and put it as a sub episode under my content so you guys can click on to that. But without further ado, I'm going I'm to wrap this bad boy up. That was just a weekly that was just like a little weekly review. A lot of hoops. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I'll be back following episode next week. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace. Deuces. Enjoy.